Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Pod on the Tyne. It's lovely to be back. It's 2021. My name is Taylor Payne, uh, and this is your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show, we're going to be looking at the cup competitions, uh, the League Cup debacle at Brentford, and the upcoming FA Cup game against Arsenal. Reasons to be cheerful and reasons to be fearful for Newcastle fans. Steve Bruce and the kind of language that he's been using. And also we'll be having a little look at the transfer window coming up as well. I am joined, as ever, by two able seamen, uh, George Colgan and Chris Woff. George, how are you doing? Have you had a nice Christmas, George? Well, hey, mateys. Um, <laughs> yar. Yar. So this be, be, you'll never get hold of me lucky chat. Oh, no, that was Irish. Uh, no. Um, that was the other one. That was the other one. Yar, Jim lad. Jim lad. Yeah, there you go. Um, Christmas, that feels like a while ago now that we're entering Doesn't lockdown it? number 20. It's um, given its full title. It's Lockdown 3, Lockdown with a Vengeance. That's what it is, starring... <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. <sighs> I mean, it is basically one big <laughs> lockdown, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's one big lockdown, let's be honest. Only th- um, only three lockdowns till Christmas, though, George, you've got to remember that. Is that right? So, is that yeah, right? that's right, yeah. I'm told it'll all be over by Christmas. Um, that's the good news, you know, that this... Um, this and, and 2022 will be the... Suddenly will be the year of sunlit uplands. Yes, it's 2022 is going to be my year. New year, new me. Well, is it? new year, same me. Yeah. Well, Chris, my Christmas about was... You? Well, I know I haven't answered my question. You don't no, no. actually answer that. You don't care. Okay, fine. <laughs> no, go on. How was your Christmas, George? Uh, quiet. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, I didn't see anybody mm. or do anything. So, I mean, I did yeah. eat a lot and I drank quite a lot. So it was fine. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. And you have quiet. a new addition to your household, haven't you, George? Well, that is true. Yes, that is the new that is the news for twenty twenty one. Um, I have a new pet. So um, a week or so ago, um, one of my cats very kindly brought in a sparrow into my bedroom. Wow! And um, I didn't realise this until the, until the morning when I heard this scratching in a corner of the room. Anyway, I've rescued the sparrow. I kept all the windows open that day in my bedroom, but it didn't fly out, and I'm pretty sure it couldn't fly. So the sparrow is now living, I, I hope, a happy and relatively fulfilled life in um, my little shed greenhouse thing where I'm feeding it nice um, nice food, got, got some seeds and water and foie gras, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, well, that kind of bird equivalent of foie gras. And it's sitting on my chilli plants and uh, hopping around. I'm still not, I don't think it has a broken wing or anything. So I'm hoping that whatever feathers it needs to, grow back will come soon enough and I've christened him Spuggy. I sort of have this lovely fantasy of, you know, when life's a bit more normal and the the, the lighter days are here and it's warmer weather, sort of me going into the greenhouse to tend my plants and Spuggy sitting on my shoulder, cheeping in my ear, singing nice songs. That would be nice, wouldn't it? That's lovely, George. That's so nice. It's nice to see you've moved on from Isaac Hayden as well. It's lovely stuff. Yeah, well, I had to That's do really that nice. for obvious reasons. Yeah, for legal reasons. So did you know how to look after sparrows? Did you have, have you had any kind of experience in this or were you just winging it? Oh, that's fucking hell. That's such a cheap, cheap shot. Cheap, 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 Oh, Chris, how about you? We're not getting any sense out of cocking this week. What about you? How was your Christmas? Well, I'm thinking about resigning from this podcast, but apart from that, um, no, uh, Happy New Year, everyone. Um, my Christmas also was quite quiet. Although I cooked a goose, first time ever. That was that was different, yeah. A lot Ooh. of, uh, it was massive, massive goose. You're allowed to eat geese, aren't you? It's not like swans where they, they belong to the Queen and stuff. And... I mean, I didn't catch it and kill it. All right, you didn't get it off like... <laughs> It wasn't from Lisa's Park Lake or anything. No, it wasn't. No, it was. It was bought by legal means. Um, so that right, I did, yeah, yeah. I ha- it was bought by um, legal means. It's, well, like, I don't know cryptocurrency. Like, 
Chris going to the shops with his Bitcoin. Oh, with his God. one Bitcoin. As you know, George, all the best goose sellers work in Bitcoin these days, don't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wonderful. But apart from that, I mean, I had to watch Newcastle United four times, so that wasn't brilliant. But uh, away, away yeah. from work, it was, it was, it can't was all right. be sunshine, can it? No. no, that's nice. What about you, Taylor? Yeah, I had a nice one, um, just sort of with the kids and stuff, and I, I ate many uh, pigs and blankets. What was uh, their best then, present? Um, the best present I got was the Secret Santa gift that I got from my my friends group. Uh, we have like a, a, a group chat thing on Facebook, and we all bought each other a Secret Santa, and then somebody went around and collected them all, and we got them back randomly. So it wasn't specifically bought for me, it was just bought for, for people in general. Uh, and we all had to open them at the same time on a Zoom call, and mine was uh, Paul Gascoigne, Let's Have a Party, the CD, uh, mm. which is the greatest Christmas gift that anyone's ever received. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's what they all wanted. And yes, George you... Fogg on the Tyne is on there. Oh, fabulous. Stuff You can yeah. stuff your play, PlayStation 5 as long as you've got Fogg on the Tyne. That's, That's exactly, brilliant. Yeah. Come on! Yeah, I'm thinking about doing a uh, tribute album as we speak to that very, very same... Uh, piece of music. It's wonderful stuff. I've, I've had a little listen to it. There is a, a 12 minute uh, Motown medley on there, which is. What? <laughs> Paul Gascoigne singing a 12 minute Motown medley? Are you I mean, sure? It has to be a future podcast episode, just just that playing here. I think if ever we have a slow news week on here, we should just play that album in full. In, in I heard it through the grapevine. Aye, oh, I did. <laughs> is that it? Hoard wow. it through the grapevine. Well, hoard it through the grapevine, man. <laughs> anyway, with all of that in mind, let's move on. Let's crack on. Before we crack on and get started properly, uh, remember you can sign up to the Athletic uh, at the moment for just three ninety nine a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled coverage of your club in twenty twenty one, as well as completely ad free podcasts uh, via the app. Just go to www.theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod uh, and sign up. And with all of that admin and all the intros out the way, chaps, let's crack on. Um, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, we'll start uh, by looking at the Cups, I think. Um, Newcastle have gone out of the League Cup to Brentford, and I think an awful lot of us had a feeling that was going to be the case anyway. Uh, and this weekend, Newcastle will also be going out of the FA Cup uh, <laughs> against Arsenal. Um, George, what was your what was your thoughts on the Brentford game for start? As I, I mean, it wasn't great, was it? Well, no, I mean, I'll start with Arsenal if you're listening next week. Fuck me, that was bad, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> I think we just get out of the way. Um, yeah, it's a real shame. I mean, I think a lot of us felt that that sort of, that game would kind of define the season or that it, or it felt like a sort of defining result of the season when so much store had been placed in the cup, when they'd made such hard work of getting there, but got there and had a really, you know, good inviting draw, albeit against a, a very good championship team um you know but it was it was every bit as championship bad as reserve team Semi-reserve. championship reserve yes. team you are correct I mean, let's, to not, that. let's be yeah. honest Brentford it, didn't put out their strongest team did they no and they didn't turn up and so for me that was you know that felt like the biggest and sort of worst defeat of the season or you know such a such a sort of deflation it would have kept the season going admittedly only to this week because the semi-finals have been played as we as we speak now but you know, it, it it was a struggle. Those cup games were a struggle, but yeah. they they were something different and something else and something that Steve Bruce had sort of set great store by. And to go out in the manner that they did felt very, very disappointing. It was a bit of a, a poor attempt, wasn't it, Chris? You have to be honest, the Newcastle didn't really show up at all, did they? Yeah, and that was the, the major frustrating factor. I mean, if they'd lost in general, it would have been a huge disappointment, but it was the fact that basically they didn't fire a shot in anger. It was the manner of the of the defeat more than anything else. It was Steve Bruce has, has played so much by the fact that he wants to take the cup seriously. And he did put out a strong team. It wasn't as if he made loads and loads of changes. There, there were a couple of changes here and there, but but in general, that was a side who should have gone there and, and mustered up far more than they did. And I just, I yeah. think that the negative effect that, that that result and everything that came around it could potentially have on the rest of the season is, is, part of why I think it was so damaging as, as George said the season may have limped on a little bit and if they'd gone into the semi-final perhaps they may have got through the final but equally they may have gone out I don't know Spurs or whoever it may have been this week and you could have said right well that's fine they got the semi-final they've done all right whereas instead it's like well what a huge opportunity as Steve Bruce himself said that was and instead 
it just felt exactly the same as it has done every single year during cup competitions throughout the Ashley era, really. The shocking thing, I thought, was that it, was how unshocking it was. So we'd seen, oh, Newcastle yeah, get, we'd seen Newcastle get battered by Leeds. We'd seen that, you know, the draw against Fulham. And it wasn't like a cup shock shock, was it? It was just Newcastle turning up and being poor at football. And it's like, that's what it's like all the time. And I think I said something like that on Twitter. It's like, you know, don't, if you're watching this and you don't watch Newcastle every week, don't worry, this isn't anything special. This is what it's like. I mean, And so there wasn't that feeling of sort of it being an occasion or a big event or, you know, it was just this sort of dismal slip out of the cup, didn't, t- you know, didn't turn up, but they don't turn up most weeks or, you know, that's sort of how it feels to us. Because so much had been made of it, not, you know, not least um, of which by the manager, saying that this is this is what sort of one of the things that differentiates him. It just didn't differentiate itself at all. And that was the disappointing thing. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it didn't feel like a special occasion at all. It just felt this is what it's like. Yeah. I mean, like you say, it wasn't a shock um, to fans. Uh, it wasn't a shock to, to yourselves. It wasn't, uh, I mean, it wasn't a shock to the bookmakers. They had us down as, as you know, not favourites. <laughs> is, is that not the right term? Not favourites. Second favourites. Runners up. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we came third in a game soon. That's how it feels at the minute. But it's the bookmakers had us down as as favourites to lose yeah. the game. So it, yeah, it, yeah. it wasn't a shock to anyone. I mean, we turned up. We didn't play. We we sat off. Brentford thought, "Wow, this is, is this what it's like playing playing in the Premier League? Give me some of this. It's great." You know. I'm Twitter friends with a with a Brentford fan, um, a guy called Adam Devlin, who's a, a guitarist in a in a, a '90s pop band called the Blue Tones. Do you remember them? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so me and him have a bit of back and forth about football sometimes, and he messaged me straight after the game saying that wasn't even our best team. That was our no. that wasn't even our second best team. That was our third or fourth best team. It was sort of a mishmash of different players, and and you know they didn't play Ivan Tony from the start, who's been banging in goals for fun. Uh, and Newcastle just didn't look bothered. Just didn't even look bothered. It was that thing where it sort of coincided with the, you know, with that moment of Christmas, Christmas being cancelled, and you can't, you can't accuse Newcastle of not sort of um, not adapting themselves to the public mood because it was just that sense of deflation, wasn't it? It was like Ugh, after all that, Ugh. it's like that. And I suppose if we're talking about Arsenal, then we have to. But, you know, keep our fingers crossed and hope for better. But I don't think many of us will be thinking that way, and certainly not when the draw was made. And um, you know, it's a massive game for for Arsenal for for different reasons. So I don't think maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I don't think many of us will be um, looking ahead to that much with sort of much uh, much optimism. Chris, is the is this a an opportunity for Steve Bruce against Arsenal because the expectations are so low? Is it an opportunity to just you know to just throw caution to the wind and put out a strong and uh, a front foot team and go after Arsenal and try and get amongst them or or do you think he'll be cautious again like he has been with a lot of the, the league games against the, the higher up teams It's difficult now he's going to approach this one George and I were chatting yesterday yeah. about this because if you sort of look at now next Tuesday because of what happened in the other games over Christmas suddenly Tuesday away at Sheffield United becomes oh, quite God, an yes. important game because Sheffield United obviously haven't won all season Newcastle are eight points above the relegation zone, but if they lose that, and then with the, the fixtures to come afterwards, you, you start to worry a little bit. So I, I don't know whether Steve Bruce is going to think, right, Arsenal is, is so important because I can potentially change some of this negative momentum, build up some positivity again. I've put so much stall on the Cups. But then he may look at it and think, well, Arsenal are now a team in form. They're going to try and defend this trophy so that Mikel Arteta can can try and come out this season with some sort of respectability and so I need to focus on the Premier League. I don't know which way he's going to come in between that. I imagine that when we hear from him on Friday he will say that he's going to put out a team he expects can win but I do think that we may for the first time maybe in, in, in the Bruce era in a game where he's up against a stronger opposition in a cup he may actually field a slightly weakened team and by that I mean with with one eye on Tuesday night because I just think that that he will see that now as as, as if they lose to Sheffield United off that don't win at Sheffield United even I think even a draw would probably be seen as a negative result at Sheffield United given how poor they've been this season not too sure how fans will will, will react to the idea of kind of writing this one off I mean the FA Cup's still really important to us isn't it as fans it's something that we still have a great deal of uh, love for and god we'd love to win something like that 
Yeah, third round day was always my favourite day of the season. Back back in the day when Mike Ashley didn't exist and I was a wee nipper. Um, I mean, it did exist, but no, it was like a massive day and it's become associated with something different. Of course, last season was the exception and uh, really, really enjoyed that run when it felt like a sort of novelty. And yeah. it could have the same, you know, it could have the same effect. I mean, you, what you would want to happen is... What I would want to happen is for him to use this free week to uh, to get people fit and ready to come up with a with a with a structured plan to inflict a defeat on Arsenal to go with the strongest team and then use you know try and use the positive momentum from that to go into Sheffield United. And that's the way I would look at it. It might be simplistic, but that is definitely the way I would look at it. I d- I agree with Chris. I think it's v- it's a very interesting dynamic this this week because. I think that Sheffield United game does loom heavy over the club uh, or, or over Steve Bruce. I mean, not only because we're on a bad run of results now, it's, what is it, six six games in all competition without a win, and the league table isn't quite offering the same degree of comfort as it did a few weeks ago. Mm, um, you know, there's still a gap there, but it's not it's not a huge gap anymore. And my kind of fear is that is that the Sheffield United game takes precedent precedence and um when i say fear i understand it i don't like it though um and that is you know that is my fear that that my fear is is fear as it were my fear is that fear becomes the dominant theme around the club as it has been for 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 so much of the time under under mike ashley that that's that's the only thing that counts i mean i think we all saw the draw and thought it's a write-off not because (laughs) we wanted to write it off but just because it was the team that they were playing but you know, okay, Arsenal have had a resurgence in the past few weeks, but it's not as if they're doing brilliantly this season. And so it should be regarded as a chance. And yeah, I would like to see Newcastle go there, play with some freedom, play with some aggression, play with a bit of attitude. I think we all know that's not going to happen there. I agree with George, but I just want to disagree on one point in terms of actually it being understandable if they don't have a go through again, because I think that there's a different dynamic this year. A, as I said before, Newcastle may only be eight points ahead of the relegation zone, but that effectively Sheffield United are down and West Brom look like they're going to be in serious trouble so really there's only one position that can go down in the Premier League and it's usually when you're at this point of the season you'd be about five or six games further on and Newcastle aren't yet at that point because the season started later that's why I thought that the League Cup was such a huge opportunity because you could really focus on it in the first half of the year and then you had almost the rest of the season to recover if necessary Newcastle weren't actually in a position where they needed to do that they didn't really need to be recover but that's why I thought they really should have had a go obviously that's gone the awful exit at Brentford but I still think that opportunity is there to a certain extent this weekend I personally just think you think about Saturday forget about Tuesday for now because I agree with George if the if the positive momentum if you can go to Arsenal and win I think you'd go to Sheffield United and you'd probably win on the back of that I don't mind Newcastle losing I don't want them to lose I you know I don't enjoy it when they lose but I expect Newcastle to lose you know I expect that to happen quite a lot I can be forgiving of a defeat if it's a defeat with impetus, with purpose, with a sense of ambition and an adventure. If they go there with Arsenal, with that attitude, give it a go and go out. You know, do I care? Well, yeah, because I want them to win something. But I don't mind that. I can forgive that. What I don't want is them to slope out of the cup. They sloped out against Brentford. um, And, you know, that's distressing. I agree. They've got an opportunity. I hope they take it. I I hope it's the strongest team that they can possibly name at the weekend and I hope they win but that's not what I expect to happen looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 US-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu.
absolutely. Well, uh, with all of the uh, the negativity flying around, let's think of some reasons to be cheerful at the minute as a Newcastle United fan. Um, what are they, Chris? What's the reasons to be cheerful at the moment? Bloody hell, you've put me on the spot there, haven't you? Um, Have you not thought about this, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Is this well, not consuming I, I, your I, every I, waking I, I, moment? This was your idea, Chris. It was my idea, but you could spend a week thinking about this new struggle. No, I'd, I, the, 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 the first positive I'm going to pick up would be Marty Longstaff. Yes. Uh, out of nowhere, as Steve Bruce himself even said, bizarrely, after the game the other day, he's come from nowhere. And so, well, it's because you haven't played him, Steve. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> um, so, um, but I mean, Bruce did sort of qualify that by saying he had been injured and he had had a niggling thigh injury. He also mentioned him losing a lot of weight during lockdown, which he did seem to do, but that was not mentioned at all following the restart and uh, why Matty Longstaff didn't play in that period then. So I found that a little bit confusing. But just seeing him back in the t- as it was, it was from nowhere when he came back on Boxing Day. And against a Man City team who dominated, he, he showed a bit of energy. And then I thought he was superb against Liverpool. Not quite as good against Leicester, but I don't think any of the team was. But just someone in midfield who offered a bit of dynamism and, and the ability to actually get at the opposition and also calmly move possession on. Give it, to, give it when when Newcastle won the ball, he actually tried to recycle it and move it forward. And so I thought Matty Longstaff being back in was was a, he would be one of my real positives over the last few weeks. Yeah, I'd say that's fair enough. I thought he looked tired against Leicester. I have to say, I thought he'd, maybe them few games had come a bit bit quick quickly off the bat for him and he, he started to look a bit leggy but he had put an awful lot of energy into that midfield over the over the games prior to that and I thought he was he was a bright spark wasn't he George he was yeah it's kind of interesting as Chris says how he's just come from nowhere I mean he hasn't come from nowhere because he's always been at the club um that energy has been has been really good I would add to that Carl Darlow um, who's yep. you know continued his really good form. We've spoken about him before. Um, now with Dubravka back, it'd be interesting to see what happens in the cup actually um, this weekend. Whether that's an excuse to give Dubravka some uh, match time, but Carl Dallo has just been astonishingly good. Really, um, I think we have to say that it's not just it's not just competence anymore. It's just no, it's he's been really, really, really it? it's been really really good. I'd add to that players like Kieran Clark has been really good. It's interesting that, uh, to hear Steve Bruce talk about a new contract for the centre half. Definitely a kind of couple of couple of players. The the one thing that I felt that I felt optimistic about over the last couple of weeks was actually the Liverpool game. Now I know that that was then dented to a certain extent or to a significant extent by the defeat to Leicester. But Liverpool did show a way forward. Admittedly, they they weren't very good that day, and they're going through their own little trough in form. But it did show that you can you can defend aggressively. You can you can defend in a way that isn't defensive, and I think that. Um, we've seen this from Newcastle, where they, they they don't so many games go by where they don't even defend, or it doesn't feel like they're defending. They're just sitting back, and they're sitting back and trying to stay in a game. And you know they're they're like a boxer on the ropes, rope a dope. They're taking all the punches, and the hope is that they can kind of catch catch a team on the counter and shock them with a punch. That's how it feels to me. Liverpool offered a different way forward. I I came close to almost quite enjoy watching them. I mean <laughs> wow. I mean almost, you know, I didn't quite get that far, but it wasn't far off because it showed that you can get in people another team's faces, you know, another team that you can be aggressive, that you can press high. Chris wrote a really interesting piece afterwards about how they how they were noticeably further up the pitch and Perhaps that won't work every game against every team. You see them against a team like Leicester who are so good on the counter-attack and have a player like Jamie Vardy who can sort of just run into space. I mean, it's not a, perhaps it's not a one-size-fits-all you know, strategy, but Liverpool showed that you can, you can if you're organised, if you have a certain way of playing, if you can, that you can, you can make defence a form of attack almost. I mean, I, I know it was nil-nil, but that, that you can... You can you know, I, I, again, I sort of transplant that game to a full St James's Park, and that would have been a very loud and raucous yeah. and positive occasion because of the way Newcastle set up. So, does that does it fill me with sort of love for the entire human race and um, feeling that we're all going to be okay? No, it doesn't. But I quite enjoyed it, and it did show that there's a way of a, maybe a different way of playing. 
I thought one of the uh, one of the standout performances from that Liverpool game, somebody whose forms dipped a little bit over the over the last few months, uh, was Fabian Scher. I thought he, I thought he acquitted himself very well in that Liverpool game, and obviously cleared one off the line towards the end. I thought his positioning was good. I thought he was stepping out from the back with the ball quite a lot, and it was it was nice to watch him playing with a bit of uh, playing with a bit of you know a bit of joy in him again, and and sort of getting. Getting a little bit of that form back that we'd saw from him back when he was uh, when he was playing under Rafa Benitez. Well, what um, you mean by that is that it was nice <laughs> to see one of his ass cheeks. Well, I wasn't going to bring that up, but now that you mention it, yes, it was. But bit for the dads, isn't it? Lovely stuff. What's been interesting about Cher though is he has been playing in the middle of the three as well, whereas he's yeah. tended before to play either on the right or the left. But that's what I've found over the last few games is that he's actually moved Cher to be the middle of the three. And we saw against Leicester actually one time he, he went forward with the ball and played a lovely crossfield ball when he was almost falling over, actually. But that was... I think that might suit him a little bit more at some point. It gives him extra responsibility, which I'm not 100% sure suits him. But in terms of that ability <laughs> to maybe roam forward with the ball if the other two yeah. cover back... I think that works well. And obviously we've missed here the biggest positive of all, and that is Andy Carroll goal machine. Oh, my word. Well, mm. I, I don't know if you saw this, Chris, but just as he came on, I tweeted and said, it, great, we're 2-0 we're down and we need somebody to come on and blast the ball into the Gallagher end from 35 <laughs> yards. Uh, and literally, I pressed send... I went to the kitchen, got a drink, and as I came back, he volleyed that ball in the bottom corner. <laughs> and my Twitter went. I always, um, I always, send, I always send a message to Chris in one way, shape, or form when he comes on. Here comes the big man, and um, yeah, he delivered. It was a nice nostalgic moment, wasn't it? I think I'm not sure that it was anything else, was it? I don't think so. I mean, I, d- well, I mean, I, I had put a piece out the week before saying he doesn't score goals, <laughs> yeah, anymore, so yeah. I, I was yeah. made well, to look like a bit of a fool. But well. I mean, no more so than usual. Um, Chris, who fell down the stairs shortly before the recording of this podcast, um, but is otherwise yes, otherwise unharmed. There was a wonderful stat going around about that Andy Carroll goal. Did you see it? It was um, Donald Trump had tweeted 57,584 <laughs> times uh, in between the, Andy Carroll's last goal for Newcastle and this one. Wow. That's, <laughs> amazing, I mean, isn't it? It is. That, that is a good... Um, yeah, he's what Donald Trust. Donald Trust. Donald Trump. Donald. Well, there's a Donald Trust. There we go. Uh, maybe I'll just leave it at that. Donald Trust. They're, yeah. they're the kind of stats I can get on board with, or you can show your XG. Do you know what I mean? That's the kind of thing I want to read. That's my. Kind he'll be of pushing. Stats. I mean, he'll now be pushing to to start matches. I mean, I'm not sure that I would be on board with that as a solution to Newcastle's ills. Well, what I found is an interest in his... I don't know if you saw any of his interviews after the game, but there's one way he kept on talking about the number of matches and that having to get your body ready. And I, and I know what he's trying to say because you'll obviously have to warm up and then cool down. But I'm thinking, he's barely played over the last few weeks. It's not like he's started every game. <laughs> yeah. And that just... I mean, it, as I say, I, I know what he, the point he's actually trying to make, but it just it sort of reinforced the idea in my mind as I wrote about last week that I just certainly, as starting matches, I think that durability probably isn't there for him to be able to play more it's, than it's, maybe the 15, 20 minutes at the end of games. Yeah. It's quite an interesting position that he's in, actually. I mean, I know someone like Steve Howey, for example, who we've had on the show, who's a friend of mine, who had terrible problems with injuries through his career. It was really difficult for him to be a substitute because because of that warming up, because of going onto a pitch cold, effectively, that for all you did on the sidelines or you could do before, before a match, it was really difficult just for his body to get into a position where he could feel comfortable to play that in other words fine if he has time beforehand and he's warm and he's he almost sort of had a phobia about about being on the bench because because it would cause you know because of the threat of injury and i i do just wonder with someone like carol whether i mean for all the sophisticated i mean you know it it is more sophisticated now in terms of the way players can warm up and and get themselves ready for for matches and things but you know we often talk about him saying well he can be a he could be an impact sub, but it's actually when he comes on sometimes you you do get that real sense of the lack of mobility. Um, you know, maybe 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 he's actually more of an impact starter. Um, but that's a stupid idea. That's a stupid thing to say. Impact he could come on. Starter. He could come on at the start of the game for ten minutes and then get subbed off. Put him on after five minutes. <laughs> no, just put him on at the yeah. start, but for only five minutes. 
he does run like he's torn a caravan at the moment, bless him. Um, you know, it, it can't be easy uh, coming on and, and, and trying to get into games when you're, like you say, when you're coming on cold and stuff like that. But he did take that goal awfully well, didn't he? It was a lovely finish. It does, rem- does remind you of what a player he was as well. And um, I think we all, we've all we all longed for that when he came home. However you felt about that transfer and whether it was the right thing for Newcastle. Well, I think, I think most of us did feel that sort of tug of... Um, you know the tug of home and and that sort of nice nice feeling when he arrived. It's obviously been difficult for him, but you know those of us who saw him ten years ago just remember what an absolute force of nature he was. And Absolutely. A, a, you know, let's not forget a player who um, who who played for England, who scored for England, who got that massive move to Liverpool, and someone who had everything. He had a bit of everything, and you know, sort of terrifying. And he still does spread a bit of terror, I think. But, um, no, he took the goal really well. Lovely to see. Well, moving on from that, let's go a little bit more negative. Uh, We'll think about reasons to be fearful now. Um, Well, Sheffield United haven't not won a game yet this season and they are our next opponent in the league. I think their their breaking of that duck could be uh, potential uh, against Newcastle, couldn't it? It's it's one of those things. It wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, Sheffield United got their first win against us. Yeah, it was it was two thousand seven eight. Is that when Derby and Newcastle? I think they only they got four points from Newcastle, and they only got like <laughs> how many points across the course of the season? That there is always They're like eleven or something. Always that fear with Newcastle. I mean, yeah, let's make this section brief because I imagine that over the course of the next few weeks, we're probably going to get negative again. Uh, so uh, the, the one of the one of the main negatives for me over the the course of the last few weeks beyond the Brentford game, which was obviously the biggest negative, is sort of. John Joe Shelby in, in midfield and and just I mean against Brentford I thought he was awful uh, and he was really really uh, as captain as well I thought it was a terrible performance and then we didn't really see that much from since uh, till the Leicester game and Bruce caveated that by saying he's he's had this uh, niggling groin injury but also I mean when he came on against Leicester we saw both the good and the bad and why I think he is now he is again this sort of conundrum which is difficult to solve particularly in a two-man midfield where for the goal the first uh, the second Leicester goal sorry I mean he's just completely at fault he rushes out when he shouldn't he gets done easily and he does not get back and Telemans it's a great finish but Telemans has all that room because Shelby doesn't get back but then we did see a couple of the the passes across the box there was one really good one where nobody had gambled and and gone in and, and tried to score so that for me John Joe Shelby and just the fact that he's been given another contract last year and yet I don't see him as the long-term I answer personally. Do you think Newcastle will think about moving him on soon or or do you think he's here for the long run with that new contract? Well, I don't know necessarily who would want him. That's the thing. I mean, he's on quite a big that's, contract. Yeah. I mean, that's extended, it, so, so it's not just the fact that Newcastle would maybe be looking for money from, but also would Shelby want to, to leave when he's one of the best earners at Newcastle and would anyone want to pay that for him? I'm, I'm not 100% sure that would be the case. One of the things that's been uh, troubling me slightly over the last few weeks is the Alan Maximan uh, situation. Obviously, he's been suffering from the, the long-term effects of COVID and stuff like that. He's also had injury problems, um, and he's currently holed up in France uh, recovering, uh, is, is, is the official word on that. But he's also been very quiet on social media, which is, which is unlike him. Uh, and as we know, he's, he's probably Newcastle's most gifted player, and, and he's, he's the sort of player that fans want to see playing. Uh, and and I think we're a different team without him, uh, and I, and I'm slightly worried about this. If it's going to cause long term issues, of it's going to be something that that has a knock on effect uh, going into the back end of the season. Chris, it's, is this something you've thought about as well? Well, just the fact that yeah, he is he isn't back yet, and obviously we wish him a very speedy recovery. Jamal Lascelles has also uh, been out suffering from the effects of it. Although Lascelles has spoken to, to people at, uh, we've seen him at, at the ground, and he he actually says he feels better in himself. He just the, the levels haven't quite been as they were before as he suffers from the after effects. A little bit more sketchy on on exactly uh, the the physical after effects on on Alan Sat Maximan, but but he, he Bruce said. After the the I think it was after the Boxing Day game that he still expected to be a matter of weeks before see Sam Maximan. And given Newcastle's lack of goals and also lack of opportunities really they've created in recent weeks, that would be another reason to be fearful. And and the sooner Sam Maximan can be back, hopefully healthy and, and ready to play, then then that would just help in that situation. I think Ryan Fraser, who also had injury problems, the sooner they can get him back fit, the better. Because whenever he plays, I think Newcastle have looked far more creative because they've got someone who's a bit of a direct threat, and they've really missed him as well. So Maxim, so one of the, has been one of the kind of great enigmatic stories of this season, hasn't he? Because he just hasn't 
replicated the form that he showed last season, been played in a different position for a lot of it, has signed this new contract, and a lot is a lot is expected of him, and he hasn't he hasn't sort of delivered, and uh, for whatever reason. So yeah, I mean Newcastle can't afford to be without his his talent for a player of his talent because there aren't enough of those to go around. I mean, he's the only one. He's really the only difference maker that the team that the team has. Having said that, he hasn't made that difference this season. So um trying 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 to unpick the lock that is St Maximat will be crucial, you think, moving forward. I'm gonna answer this original question very simply by just saying everything else. <laughs> Thanks for that, George. Nicely covered. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hi guys, David Ornstein here. If you've not seen it yet, I've launched a new weekly YouTube show, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our subscribers to The Athletic. Submit your questions via the discussion pages on The Athletic app and I'll answer my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every week. Moving on, you guys have been uh, writing a piece about about Steve Bruce and about the language he uses, and uh, this this has caused a little bit of uh, a little bit of controversy over the last few weeks with fans and stuff like that. Some of the things that Steve Bruce has been saying, uh, and it links into a, a long running history of Newcastle managers and the language that they use. And we're not talking about Joe Kinnear calling everybody an F and C here, by the way. <laughs> uh, we're talking about the kind of the kind of language they use in press conferences and stuff like that. Chris, do you want to introduce this and just sort of give me a bit of a an idea about what what this is? Well, I think the terms mass hysteria and histrionics have yeah. got have, have created mass hysteria and histrionics. To be honest, yeah. in, in in response to them. So Steve Bruce, having come out after the Brentford game and said that uh, he would accept all criticism that came his way because it would be justified and that would come the club's way, given the fact that they'd just been knocked out of the League Cup by a semi-reserve Championship side. He then really did not like a lot of the coverage. I think which came in the days after. So before. The Man City game, he spoke about uh, ludicrous histrionics, and then afterwards he, he he doubled down. He didn't backtrack on that. He then started talking about mass hysteria, and uh, this has irked a lot of supporters, understandably so, because they saw this him basically saying that, that, that the criticism wasn't justified, and that that, that really uh, he, when he talks about things like work in progress as well, and then doesn't be able, isn't able to qualify that as to how things have actually progressed. Now, what I found interesting about the actual Boxing Day. Uh, pronouncements himself was I was in the post-match press conference via Zoom and it was quite clear to me that a lot of that was actually aimed at the media but the way that Steve Bruce communicated it the way that he said it it became a catch-all term which involved the sports I mean he was very very short in some of his answers in the post-match one word answers in a couple of a couple of occasions one sentence answers in a couple of occasions he really did not like the coverage he didn't think it was fair I disagree with him. I think that it was justified given the importance of the game and given all the context we've already said. But the way that he communicated across and the fact that it is, is really did frustrate a lot of supporters, many of whom weren't really having Steve Bruce anyway, but I think that that was sort of a line in the sand for some where they felt that he was trying to deflect the blame and, and sort of feed this negative uh, and ignorant opinion that's out there maybe that Newcastle supporters expect more than, than they necessarily do. Yeah, and so there is, however, also a wider perspective. Which, so whether it's over the Steve Bruce tenure, we're talking about that sort of work in progress phrase that he uses. You know, the the, the team rolling their sleeves up and getting a response when they get a bad result, and how and th- th- those words, how they're interpreted, feels at the moment like it's 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 driving the sort of the narrative of the story. And the bigger picture here is that this has been a common theme for Newcastle managers under Mike Ashley because they are the only figureheads at the club 
Now, I I wanted to kind of go back and, and look at some of the stuff that Lee Charnley said. Only in August 2019, when he said, I accept we need to do more from a communication perspective moving forward. There's certainly a need to communicate more as a club and let fans know where, it, where we are heading collectively. That goes beyond the responsibility of just the head coach or manager in isolation, something we have relied on far too heavily in the past. Now, that is really interesting because that was an admission of failure and it was an admission of something that we all know that um, whether we go back to Alan Pardew or Steve McLaren or John Carver, this narrative that's happening around Steve Bruce at the minute. Now, the words are his own and he, he has to own them. He has to take ownership for them and he's responsible for them. But the head coach or manager exists in this vacuum where he has no support network. There is no one above him saying, okay, well, this is the big plan of the club. This is what we want to do. This is where we want to be in five years' time or two years' time. This is our aim. These are our targets. And even on a smaller a smaller scale, but a, a, a sort of more human scale, it's not really smaller. But what I mean is it's not necessarily about the football. There's no one there saying, look, we all know you're having a shitty time because of coronavirus. We know that some of you have lost your jobs. We know that some of you have been poorly. We know, you know, that it might be difficult for you at the moment to buy, pay for your season tickets. We want to talk to you about that. We're all in this together. There is no one saying this season it's just about getting through. We know how important it is to stay in the Premier League this season because of the money available and because of all the shit that's happening off the pitch. So please have a bit of patience with us. You know, please, you know, let's. we're all in this together. We're on your side. You're on our side. We'll just get through it. No one says anything. No one says anything Seems like the simplest thing in the world, doesn't it? it it's, it's, just, just not it's, it's just common humanity, some of these things. Yeah. And... You know, they, we've banged on about this before, and I know it's one of Chris's sort of pet peeves about, you know, the lack of discussing furlough, putting staff under furlough mm, and things yeah, like that. That this is, you know, they, they, they have to persuade... Oh, God, I'm losing. I'm getting so angry there. Have a, have a breath, George, have a breath. Yeah. There is this thing where it feels like it's us and them. And it doesn't yeah. have to be like that because the whole point is we should all be on the same side at Newcastle. And yet it feels, half the time it feels like the manager is the enemy, let alone the the owner and the managing director. And the point is Lee Charney recognised this himself. He had the wit to recognise it, but the attitude of the club towards its own supporters is derisive. It's, 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 and it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. And so... We've written this piece, which is talking about what Steve Bruce has said, but it's putting it into this context of a club that says nothing. It was interesting, John Champion, during the Liverpool match on television, they panned to Lee Charney in the stands and they said this club is, a, and he said this, is, this club is often like the Marie Celeste, you know, where the lights are on and there's nobody at home. Yeah. And it's like that. And it puts the head coach or the manager under massive pressure but it should be about results. You know, that should be about results. It shouldn't be about all the nonsense that goes off it. But there's no one for him to lean on. There is no one offering him any support. There is no alternative uh, voice at the club. It's just him. But this isn't new, though, is it, Chris? This is something that's gone on for years at Newcastle. We, You know, we've seen many occasions of Alan Pardew wheeled out in front of the press to try and explain away decisions uh, that have not been made by him and, and him having to face the flak and John Carver and... And and uh, Steve McLaren and various other people. This isn't a, this isn't a new thing. This has been going on for years, isn't it? No, it's it's not a new thing. I suppose the only thing that's new is is, is George quoted Char- Lee Charney there, was saying that Lee Charney basically said it was going to be different this time. He acknowledged that, that, that there had been a problem, and but no, I mean, Newcastle managers have historically under the Mike Ashley regime been left out to, to 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 just fend for themselves. And someone like Rafa Benitez used it to his advantage. He actually used that isolation to to create even more isolation between him and the board, and really uh, shape the narrative in his way because he was able to to speak to supporters and explain to them what was going on or how he perceived things to be going on. And Newcastle realised, I think too late into that that really he, he had grasped the, the narrative and was able to use that to his advantage where Steve Bruce I, I think the opposite's happened I think that he he is flailing at the moment in terms of I think that, to be fair on him I think there are some supporters who were never going to have him and it didn't really matter but given the performances and given the way that results have gone and given his inability to coherently explain 
how the club is supposedly progressing and how he wants to move it forward and even offering this vision of how he wants them to play, I think that that really isn't aiding him when his words aren't helping in that sense But, but that, whole th- that whole thing about remit, I mean, fine, he, he tied himself up in knots with that about what the remit is, the club. Is is it about being in the top 10? It, he says, you know, he says over Christmas, it's about it's about staying in the Premier League. Well, personally, I think that probably is, I think that is his remit this season. I don't like that. I don't want it to be the case. But the pandemic and everything else that goes ar- around it, plus also the fact that, you know, we're waiting in the wings for a takeover that's been going on, and you know, for months and months and months, and it feels like it's no closer to resolution. All bets are off. You can make that argument. You know, do we want to see the team improve? Yeah, for sure we do. But at the same time, there's a massive event going on around the world and in this country that means the first target this season does have to be staying up. You know, it does. And someone at the top of the club could easily say that. If the takeover is part of the reason why... Uh, Lee Charney feels like he can't speak to talk about strategy or or plans or or whatever. Okay, well, fine. Well, you could you, you could even explain that. You can say these are difficult circumstances, and you know. But there's it, this silence. It's a it's always been a really cold silence from the club. It's always had this really sort of horrible clinical feel to it. The only public statements we've really seen, aside from Steve Bruce, are the odd, you know, and I mean odd in in every sense of the word. <laughs> stuff that comes yeah. out via Mike Ashley talking about yeah. having a go at the Premier League and stuff like that. And they, you know, they really just serve to ask more questions than they answer. And it feels like drift. And it shouldn't really be up to Steve Bruce to have to explain away everything from coronavirus to take over to, um, you know, to the remit of the club, to what the big idea is. He, he's, he's, he's obviously not capable of doing that, but he shouldn't be being asked to do it either. You know that should be that's somebody else's job, and that responsibility is being shirked. Okay, well, let's move on from that then. Um, and finally, just before we wrap things up, uh, we're going to have a little chat about our transfers. And the transfer window is, of course, open. If you didn't already know that, I completely forgot that there was even a transfer window happening this year. I just thought, ah, we'll not bother with it this year. We'll just leave it. There's no point in it. Uh, but yeah, the transfer window is open. Chris, what's going on at Newcastle as far as transfers are concerned? Nothing. No, that's not that's, that's not that sort of Christ, nice one. <laughs> but, um, See you next week on Pod on the Tine. Well, it was interesting because Steve <laughs> Bruce last week sort of suggested that, uh, or hinted that he thought that they were closing in on maybe one or two loan signs. He sort of rode back on that since. They definitely are interested in bringing in uh, one or two players on loan. I think that that's likely to be... The way that the business will be this month, he's made clear that that given the effects of COVID and the financial situation Newcastle are in, the the likelihood is there isn't going to be much, if anything, to spend on permanent deals. Bruce says he didn't expect much business at all across the Premier League, not just with Newcastle, but... The areas they want to strengthen, he would like a defender, he would like a midfielder. They're, They're really the sort of priority positions. I know that uh, Marcus Rojo at Manchester United is someone that they looked at. Brandon Williams at Manchester United continues to be linked. They would like, really like Tamori from Chelsea, although I see reports this morning suggesting Leeds are closer to him. I think that the likelihood is, the suggestion to me the other day was that it probably would be that he would end up uh, going elsewhere rather than necessarily at Newcastle. But that that's very much the market they're looking in. Steve Bruce has been speaking to sort of the the the. the for want of a better term, big six clubs trying to see which players may be available on loan and to really strengthen those areas. But part of the issue as well is that Newcastle need to move players on. He has a full 25-man squad. Um, my understanding is that Rolando Ahrens has, has been training with Huddersfield and is, is close to actually finally completing that move. So that'll be someone who's gone, but he's not actually a member of the 25-man squad. They still need to move on. Christian Atsu, uh, Ashraf Lazar and Henri Savi, although I can't, I think Henri Savi is probably likely to see out the final six months of his contract not playing football <laughs> as he has done for the last three years or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. Um, but the, the other interesting one is, is DeAndre Yedlin because he was very much available last summer and Newcastle sort of cocked that up by not being proactive enough and trying to get him off the books. He ended up deciding he was quite happy to stay and then maybe see what would come about. He didn't feature really at all until over Christmas and now he seems to be first choice right wing back and my understanding is that, that sort of Newcastle haven't really made a decision yet whether they think we're going to try and keep him or whether they need to move him on. So it's a very, it's sort of all... Seems to be that Newcastle are likely to do most of their business towards the end of the January window, as tends to be the case with them anyway. They usually do wait and see who becomes available on loan. 
Is there uh, any movement on the James Perch situation, Chris? He's currently without a club. Is that something that Newcastle are looking at? Uh, I think he's come back as director of football slash midfielder. Wonderful. Slash midfielder. Mm, nice. Yeah. Lovely stuff. George, transfers, anyone you're interested in? Anyone you like the look of? Well, they did. I mean, Steve, Steve Bruce has talked about sort of what a transformative effect the three signings had last this time last year. And I don't think they did, did they? I mean, I, I think I think that's fair to say that they were in one way, shape or form, they were actually all a disappointment. But they did bring those players in and um, you can certainly argue that they were that they were needed. I think... Yeah, as Chris said, that sort of that quest for sort of a, a bit more dynam- dynamism in, in midfield is something that he's he's talked about a lot. I mean, again, a never-ending quest for a left back. Newcastle have been searching for a left back ever since they were formed. It feels it feels like um, <laughs> since John Beresford. That's the last yeah, left back that we had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know there are there are sort of all sorts of kind of questions there around fullbacks. Um, they could do with a lift. I think that's fair to say. They do have those spaces available. I think it would be crazy not to make use of them, albeit, yeah, this isn't a transfer window um, that fills you with sort of huge confidence. And, uh, you know, here, plenty of experienced managers, people like Sam Allardyce talking about how difficult it's going to be this month. And I think it I think it will for, for the reasons we've talked about earlier. It's not a normal, it's not a normal window, um, I think. What you don't want, what the the success of Newcastle in the summer was that was Bruce's policy of not gambling, and you know bringing in people who were, in theory, theoretically, ready made to come into the team. In practice, it's really only been um, Callum Wilson who's who's got a place and st- stuck to it because the others have, um, whether through form or fitness, just haven't come into the team. But I think that was the right policy. And you would hope that he'd be saying something similar now and that he'll be listened to that, okay, we need one or two people into the uh, into the dressing room to improve us and, you know, just to make sure. We'll wrap up there, lads. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you. Thank you very much. Happy New no, Year No, no, Chris, again, thank you. Happy thank New Year, us. Christopher. Thank us. And thank, thank you we. as well, George. You're truly welcome, as always. My doorbell's about Absolutely. to go. Absolutely. Oh, your doorbell's about to go. That's how do you? That's a fancy doorbell you've got. Well, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, there, it, there it is in the background. That's my doorbell. Can you hear it? There you go. Can you Maybe hear it's that, that sparrow once he's tea. Oh, anyway, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go. No problem. Thank See you very you much, think. listeners. Cheers for joining in uh, and tuning in. And we shall speak to you on the other side of Newcastle's uh, defeat yeah. to Arsenal in the FA Cup. Uh, we shall speak to you very soon. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Remember, you can sign up to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for the first six months at the minute and enjoy unrivaled coverage of your club in 2021, as well as all the ad-free podcasts via the app. Just go to www.theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Thanks again for listening. We shall see you in a little while. Cheers. Bye-bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.